Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. So here we are, Nehemiah 3, and I don't have time to sort of go over everything, but if you've been tracking with us, there's been some, some sort of key stones or key nuggets that are really important to understanding where we're going. So if you, if you have been tracking with us, fantastic. If you haven't, there's great messages online. Watch them, catch up. The message I'm going to preach today is, is pretty different to the one that I preached on this same chapter at Verdun. So I, th- I thought that was a good message too, so feel free to go and watch that one. Uh, this one will have the same, similar ideas, but it's going to look pretty different because I think that's what God's Word does. You start thinking about it and He shapes it for different people. Uh, and so in Nehemiah 3, the few things we've got to understand as we come into this text, Nehemiah 3, the first is that Nehemiah is this messianic type. And by that, it, he's a shadow of the Christ who is to come, a real historical figure who did real historical things, and yet there's something about his life that, is, that points us prophetically to the Christ who is to come, who would fulfill those things in greater measure. Are you with me? So Nehemiah is a messianic type. The second thing you need to understand is the wall, the idea that the wall that's lying in ruins is actually a kingdom type. This whole idea that there's this kingdom of God, that God is calling us in Christ to build his kingdom. That Eden, the kingdom of God, this place, the dwelling place of God was perfect and it was this beautiful creation and it was destroyed by sin and that the work of God in humanity is to see his kingdom come again. And it will come in its fullness on that final day, yes, where we will, yes, where he is coming back. I hope we're on board there that Christ is coming back. That's why we're here, friends, that he's alive and he's coming back. That wall will be restored, but it's restored through the work of Christ as the power of God comes and resources the church to put their hands to that, yes. So we see the wall is this kingdom type. And then Thirdly, we see that Israel, the people of God, is a type of the type of church. Are you with me? So real historical people in a real historical time, but there's a picture, it's pointing forward again to that Christ would raise up his church, his bride, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be resourced from heaven, to go and do the work that God has called us to do. They're the sort of the three big pillars that we've got to have as our foundation. And hopefully you've picked that up. And if you haven't, you better be writing notes down. We don't just sit here and stare at me. That's not good education. We take notes, we engage because that's how we learn and that's how we grow. So with that foundation, all I'm going to do today is I'm going to talk about a what, a where, a how and a why. A what, a where, a how and a why of building the wall. So we, let, let's come back to Nehemiah 3 verse 1. Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brothers the priests and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated, they set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the tower of the hundred, as far as the tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to, Zim, uh, next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of, and it goes on, and they built and they built and they built and they repaired and they restored the wall. What are they building? Bailey, can you come up here for a second? This is my son, Bailey. Everyone give Bailey a round of applause. Thanks, mate. I'll get you up again in a second. 
Now, we've got to understand contextually what we're building here because sometimes when we think of the wall, we think of like a Stratco fence. The wall of Jerusalem is not a little thing. This wall is 12 metres high. It's between three to eight metres wide, depending where it is, and it's four kilometres around. Here is what we call minifig scale. <laughs> Any Lego master fans? And let's just get something straight. I just heard someone say, so I'm South Australian, right? I eat peanut paste, not peanut butter. I've had all of you are already looking at me weird and shaking your heads. All right? I say plant, not plant. Thank you. And I say Lego, not Lego. Now, I, I realise this is not a leg, it's a leg. However, grammatically, whatever, it's Lego. Who agrees? Who disagrees? Uh, let's talk about it over coffee after... No punching, no scratching, all right, as you debate. But this is what we call minifig scale of what the wall would have looked like. So if the average human being uh, is about 1.7 to 1.8 metres tall, this is how high the wall is. Some of you need glasses? You can stand up and zoom in. <laughs> That's how high the wall is, right? That's a massive wall. 12 metres high is really really high, right? A basketball ring is three metres high. So you've got four of them on top of each other. Do you understand how difficult that is without a crane, without a forklift, without, like, it's just a human being. Look at this. This guy's standing here and he's looking at the wall. I don't know why we've got a, what are they, a star trooper there, but we do. How intimate, stormtrooper, sorry. How intimidating is that. Now think about that because this is that's to scale height-wise, it's not to scale width-wise. You're talking three to eight metres wide. That is a lot of stone, right? That's what the wall was. Now let me show you what the wall is. Boys, can you go and do what you know we need to do? Yeah, you can help him because you're going to need a couple of hands. That's what the wall was. That's a lot of stone. You can pick the whole thing up. Yep. I'm going to have to do this because otherwise we're going to be in trouble. This is what the wall is. Go. And thank you, Bailey. Ashton and Mac. You guys can sit right there. I'm going to need you in a minute. <laughs> That's what the wall is now. There is a whole lot of rubble. When you have a 12 metre wall by three to eight metres wide by four kilometres around, there's a whole lot of rubble. There's a passage in the previous chapter of Nehemiah that says even on a horse, there was so much rubble he couldn't get through. It's easy for us to think, oh, the wall's broken down. We need some minifig scale to understand that you have a human being, this is what they're facing. Just let that sink in for a second. 
This is no small task. There is a reason the wall has been in ruins for 150 years. Because when you have this much rubble and you look around, where do you even begin? Yeah? You can have the best intentions, but when you see this much rubble and you're this big and you've got all the like important people back in Babylon and then Persia, where do you even begin? How do you even fathom coming up with a plan to start putting this back? You don't. It just, it's all too hard. And in the end, because it's all too hard, you're like, you know what, let's just get on with what we can get on with. And then you get a bit older and then you have kids and your kids grow up and your kids are like, well, that's just always been there. That's how it is. And then they have kids and they're like, well, that's just the ruins. And this is just life. Every now and then there's a whole heap of people from a, another region who come in and they'll take everything that we own and they'll take our daughters and they'll take our sisters and wives and take them as their own and take all the wealth that we've acquired. But that's just life. We're survivors. That's the life that we're called to now. There's no wonder why when Nehemiah gets word, he weeps and he's broken and he desperately longs for God to do something about it. Because the walls, as we know, the walls, like the what we're building, it's not just bricks. Or what we call Bailey, Bailey, because it means strength of an outer city. It means the strength of a wall. The wall is so much more than bricks. It is the shalom of a city. Shalom meaning peace, kingdom, reign and rule. When you have a wall, your people have peace. They have the capacity to prosper They have a sense of harmony and security, family. When you have no wall, you have none of that. And this is what Nehemiah is called to build. It's not just bricks and mortar. It is the shalom of God for the people of God. Friends, this is what the church is called to build. What we are building is, it's not just buildings or it's so much greater than amalgamations and Things like, like, it's the shalom of God in a world that so desperately needs it. Anybody with me? That is the call of God on the people of God, that we would build the kingdom. Not by might, nor by power, but by His Spirit. Watch, <laughs> that's going to be fun. Watch, watch, let's go to just before chapter 3 begins. Go to chapter 2, verse 20. When they first get discouragement about this vision to build, rebuild, the word comes, then I reply to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no portion because they're the ones who are bringing distraction and discouragement. He says, the God of heaven will bless the work of our hands. The God of heaven will build. We have to remember that we are his servants and he is the one who establishes his kingdom, but he wants to do that. The the plan of God, for whatever reason, is to use his people to be his hands and feet in the building of the wall, in the restoration of the rubble caused by sin 
and that curse that came with it. So it's not like it's easy to be intimidated and think it's, oh, it's all too hard. But no, no, when we catch the understanding of what it is that we're called to, the kingdom of God, and the fact that it's the God of heaven who gives us success, there is a joy in that. That is the what. Let's carry on. Where? Have a look at this. As we keep reading, actually do me a favor. I want, I want, I'm going to stop talking for one minute. And in that minute, I want you to open up chapter three in your Bibles. And what I want you to do is just have a little read and I want you to underline every time you see the word house, home, temple, house, home, temple. And then while you're at it, in preparation for the next point, underline every time you see the phrase next to him or next to them. So house, home, temple, next to them, next to him. I'm going to give you, I'll give you 38 seconds. All right, have a go. Some of you are sitting there thinking, oh, no, I didn't bring my Bible. I hope he doesn't see me. (laughs) How are we going? This is just a little insight into the world of sermon prep, right? What will be jumping out at you right now is there's, there's quite a bit, right? So there are specific places that specific people are called to build. Some people, like Eliashib the high priest, is called to build a particular gate at a particular place. Other people are called to build particular sections at particular places. But everybody is called to contribute somewhere and often that place is directly out the front of their own house. And as you read through that text, you say next to him, next to them, alongside them, with them, and we'll get to that in one second, but they, they built this section, repaired that section, out the front of their own house. This is the, the, what Nehemiah does, right? He mobilises the people with a vision that God is good and he's going to rebuild this wall. And then he breaks it into chunks and he goes, yeah, this is enormous, but there's this bit right out the front of your own house. You just do that. And for us... With a kingdom call, sometimes we can look at the world and go, well, where do we even begin? This is too much. It's too hard. I'm just little old me. The word of God to us is just start building right where you are. What is outside your own house in our context today? It's your workplace. It's your family. It's your uni. It's your school. 
It's your church community that God has put you in. It's your netball club. It's your football club. It's your lawn bowling club. It's your knitting club. It's your quilting group. It's your scones and jam club. I don't know, whatever it is. Like wherever you are, wherever God has put you, you are there. If the Spirit of God is in you, then you are appointed for such a time as this to build the kingdom of God right where you are. Right where you are. And sometimes we have this mentality and this mindset, well, like, who am I there for someone else can do it? You're like, I'm not Dave Shepherd. I can't stand up and preach, therefore I can't build the kingdom of God. Rubbish! <laughs> God made you, you, because He wants to use you in a way that He can only use you, in the way that you can only impact someone else's life. He's put you where he's put you for a reason, for a purpose, for a prophetic purpose, as we heard last week, to build the wall where you are. If you're a teacher, build the kingdom of God right there. So into young people. Stories that we've got, so many stories between Joe and I as teachers for so many years where God has just... One word, one sentence. Joe's got this great story where they were talking about healing and the fact that God can heal. And there's this young kid who's got a scratch on his leg. And so they're like, well, let's pray for it. So the kids prayed for it. End of the day, he comes back. He takes his bandit off and he freaks out. He's like, oh, and he's like, God's healed my cut. And the cut was gone. This tiny little seemingly insignificant, it's a cut. Who cares? But for that kid, it was building faith in his heart. And as we get older, we're like, oh, but does God really heal? Because I prayed for this person and they haven't been. The whole point is that God is on the move. And as our maturity grows, we face different things. But build where you are put. And that means serving in your local church where God has put you. It means like footy clubs. Think of a, or a netball club or whatever club you're involved in. Imagine if the church, imagine if Christian people took up positions Imagine if we started coaching teams and bringing a Christian influence instead of some of the negative stuff that comes out in sporting or dance groups or whatever. Imagine if we started getting on, on what are they called? Committees. I should know that. There's lots of them in the church. <laughs> and started influencing policy in secular environments. Imagine if God gave us a heart even for the political world. And just by the grace of God started being a steady influence in law firms. In, there's so many ways that we can be used to bring the heart of God into particular places. Not everyone is called to global mission, but everyone is called to build. You know, Craig and Kathy, Miracle Connect, praise God for Craig and Kathy. But that doesn't mean they're more important than you. It just means that they're called to build a gate in a different place to the gate you're called to build. Amen? We're all called to build. Now, third. So we've got, we've got the what are we building? Kingdom of God. Where? Out the front of your own house. Three, how? How do we build? You just read it. Let me, just, let me summarize this for you. Verse two. And next to him, dot, dot, dot. And next to them, dot, dot, dot. Verse three. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and it's bars. Verse 4, and next to them, dot, dot, dot. And next to them, dot, dot, dot. And next to them, dot, dot, dot. Are you getting the point? And next to them, dot, dot, dot. You just keep reading. Next to them, dot, dot, dot. And it goes on and on. And in the midst of that, there's detail. There's, there's about bars and there's, there's bolts and there's 
opposite certain gates and there's corners and there's all these sorts of strange details. What is it all saying? First and foremost, it's saying we build together. We build out the front of our own house, but we don't build alone. If it's just, where'd that little guy go? If it's just this guy here, there's trouble. But can we have just, Jack, you want to come up? Can we have some people come and just stand here? And start taking some of that rubble and start building. Without breaking things, Ashton Cunningham. You see, there's something about building side by side, right? It's very dangerous when you start having other people up here. Brilliant, he found his chest piece. But we build side by side. We build next to one another. That's the beauty of the kingdom of God is we don't build alone. Yes? We build. Now that means a couple of things. It actually means that each of us have a responsibility to put up our hand. Because the danger can be is, oh, look at them. They're building so well. Therefore, I'm not going to build. And as you read through chapter 3, there's this spot here. It talks about the men of Tekoa had to build, but their nobles would not put their hand to the work. And because their nobles wouldn't put their hand to the work, it meant the men of Tekoa had to build all the more. The reason burnout comes upon people when it comes to kingdom work is because people are not building with them or they're not letting people build with them. And we have that call. It's the call to humility to invite people into that journey, but also the responsibility to step up and hold up each other's hands and recognise, hey, I'm building out the front of my own house. This person's right next to me building with me. You know, just yesterday I was driving, uh, we're driving down south last night. We drove through Ashbourne to get there and we got stuck because the flood rivers, the river had flooded and it was just pouring over the main road. We got a couple from our church at Verdun who live right there and their entire house was flooded. And there's probably 10 houses in that little area. Every single one of them were flooded. Do you know what I noticed? As we stopped, we got out the car and just started chatting with people because that's what you do when it's raining at 6 o'clock at night. All of them out there, side by side, wading through the waters, crying with each other, and encouraging one another, saying the waters will recede and then we're going to help each other repair what has been ruined. That's what we're called to do, to build next to one another. We build with one another, but also we build according to God's design. The details in this text are there for a reason. Who knows that not a word in Scripture is wasted? Who knows God doesn't put things like bars, beams and bolts in there for no reason? Who knows when we read the Bible and we get to those details, 98, 99, 100% of us do this. And then we get to the next bit. (laughs) Be honest. We do it. Because like, oh, who wants to get stuck in the detail? Let's just skim over and get the good bits in. But the details matter. Because the details are saying that God has put in place a particular way of building. We build according to His pattern, not our own. And in our culture right now, everyone wants to build according to the ways of us, not according to the ways of God. Sometimes the ways of God are offensive. 
to our social sensibilities. They are. Does that mean we throw that away and say, well, that's a bit offensive. I'm not going to build that way. We'll build this way because this is what makes people happy. No, because if we build, oh, I feel like preaching. If we build that way, the walls come crumbling down. If we build our way, it will collapse. And what we're seeing in our society right now is that the Christian faith, look at, read the latest census data, things are going lower and lower and lower. It's reducing because we have been bending and bending and bending. Whereas if we unashamedly stand on the Word of God and say, this is what God has called us to, truth in love. And we build according to the pattern of God with the heart for the lost and the lonely and we do it His way, then He will establish His kingdom and His rule and reign upon the earth. We must be a people who build according to the biblical pattern and hold each other to it. And there's so many examples that I want to use right now, but I'm wary of the time. But think about it. Relationships, you know, within marriages, with like... There's a zillion things we could talk about. Build according to the biblical pattern, even when it's not acceptable. It'd be much easier for them not to worry about all the design. Just pick up a rock and throw it on the pile. Pick up a rock and throw it on the pile. That rock's been there for 150 years. It's got a whole lot of moss on it. Stuff it. Just pick it up and throw it on the pile. No, 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 no. You build according to the biblical pattern. And the third thing within that, the third key thing is what are they using to build the wall right now? The rubble. Did you notice that? Some things were totally rebuilt. They got some resource from the king to rebuild some gates that were totally destroyed. Most things are rebuilt from rubble. Oh, what a beautiful picture of the gospel, Margie. (laughs) That the blood of Christ comes and he renews us and we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. God doesn't say, you stuffed up, boom, out of my kingdom, I'm bringing in something better and brighter and newer. Bring in the new stone. No, no, he says, all of us have been made living stones through Christ. Oh, come on, church. We've been made living stones through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been washed, we have been purified, we have been renewed. The moss has been taken off, the dirt has been taken off, chiselled away. Not by our works, not by the works of the people next to us, but by the grace of God. And he comes and he floods us and he cleans us and then he says, now get on the wall. Start being a part of the, the living stones in the temple of God. Like we become the stone that God wants to use. He's not ashamed of the rubble. We are ashamed of the rubble. So we hide the rubble or we pretend that there is no rubble. We're like, don't let anyone see that, you know, the back room that we pretend is a study, but it's actually filled with a whole heap of junk. (laughs) We hide it. No, God says, don't hide it. Bring it into the light. Let me wash it and renew it. Just confess it. And I will make you clean and I will build my kingdom in and through you. Don't despise the rubble in your life testify to the fact that the rubble has been revived. Hands up if you're perfect in this room. Not me, not even Nick. Is he even in the room right now? He's gone, 
Look at him. That shows he's not perfect. (laughs) None of us are perfect. All of us are broken. All of us are a part of that rubble. Guess what? Praise God. None of us can boast. Sometimes it's like we look at the rubble and we look at another rock in the rubble. Like, wow, look at them. I can't possibly be like them. Oh, they're amazing. They're just a piece of rubble. That's all we are. You know, we're all just rubble. What good is us? Stop looking at one another and comparing and just look to Christ and be like, wow, here I am. And that brings us to the final point. And Brother Dan, can you come up and just give us a little tinkle? (laughs) Tinker maybe would be a better word. (laughs) It's been a long week, sorry. But as we, as, we come, as, oh, as we come to this last point, which is really the why, this is, this is everything. Go to 3 verse 20. I sat with this for so long. Hang on, is that the right verse? After him, Baruch... Hang on, let's... Let's get there. What am I wanting to say? Yeah, Nehemiah. Let's, let's just read through this. Verse 20. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, repaired another section from the buttress to the door to the house of Eliashib, the high priest. After him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakos, repaired another section from the door of the house of Eliashib to the, house, uh, to the end of the house of Eliashib. After him, the priests, the men of the surrounding area repaired. And we keep reading, right? You keep going, all these people. Now, let me cheat and we're going to jump over to chapter 4 and we're going to go to verse 14. When a bit of distraction and discouragement comes, these people, all there's priests and there's normal folk, right? That's what I wanted you to see. Priests and normal folk, different people. Verse 14 of chapter 4, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them, the persecutors. Remember the Lord. Everyone say, Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. Why do we build? Why persevere? Why keep putting the hand to the plough? The same reason why we started. Remember Nick preached about the goodness of God, a testimony of the goodness of God. The same reason why we started. Nehemiah calls them back to their purpose. Remember why? Because while the wall is a prophetic picture of the kingdom, it is also a prophetic picture of Christ who was broken on account of our sin and was restored that we might experience shalom. Do you see that? Who was broken on account of our sin and was restored so that we could walk in shalom. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. We build because... Christ first built for us. We build because we have had a picture of the revelation of the love of God in Christ. Friends, there is no coercion to serve in the kingdom of God. No one should need to be coerced. No, what there is is compulsion. For Christ's love 
compels us. Yes? Sometimes we say, well, we can't compel anyone. No, but Christ can. You see, when you catch a picture of His love, it compels us to the work. Friends, when I, when I was young, I was made to play piano. Mum and Dad, Mum forced us to play piano and I hated it with every fibre of my being. And I had a teacher and she was terrible and I hated it, I'm just being honest. And so Mum said, right, let's flick her, I'm going to teach you. <laughs> and I'd sit at the piano and I'd be crying and she'd just be like, do it again. And I hated it. And she said, when you hit grade seven, you can quit. The moment I hit grade seven, I'm out of here. I'm done. No desire, no joy whatsoever. And then in the end of year 11, I saw the Lord. And I had an encounter with Christ and I started to understand what He had done for me. I started to realise that I was a wretch. I was rubble and I had been made right in His sight. And all of a sudden, this desire started to come back in me to get on the piano and play this weird thing that I'd never heard of before called worship music. And not the new stuff, the old songbook stuff. You know? Like, great is thy faithfulness. I exalt thee. What do you want to play? (laughs) I feel like singing. Father, we love Thee, we praise Thee, we adore Thee. Glorify Thy name in all the earth. Oh, I would sit there for hours and I'd just sing that song. And all of a sudden, Mum didn't have to sit next to me. And she didn't have to yell at me. She'd pull up a chair. Why am I getting emotional? I don't know. But she'd pull up a chair and she'd sit next to her son who five years earlier, she had to be scolding and she'd worship with me and she'd sing harmony. And I'd sing melody as we said, glorify thy name in all the earth. Can we sing that? Do you want to sing that for us? Do you feel like singing an old song? It's not on the song list. I just feel like singing. I know it's 11 o'clock. Can we just go a couple minutes and sing this out? Is that all right? Stand to your feet. We don't have the words up. You're going to have to go old school. Father, we love you. We worship and adore you. Glorify thy name in all the earth. Sing it like you want to. Glorify our name. Glorify thy name. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. We worship and adore you. Glorify thy name in all the earth. Glorify thy name.
Let's do one more. One more. Spirit, we love you. Spirit, we love you. We praise you. We adore you. Glorify thy name in all the earth. If you're a hand raiser, why don't you lift your hands? Glorify thy Thank you, Jesus. You know, I promise I'm going to close. But here's what I want you to catch. Without the revelation of Christ, this is a chore. Building is a chore. But when you realise that you are nothing but rubble, set free by the love of God, This is a joy. This is more than serving in a church roster. This is more than, this is, this becomes your very being. Why would I build? Because I get to, because it's become who I am. I am saved. I am set free. I'm sanctified. I am filled with the Spirit of God Himself to go into the nations and make disciples, to build out the front of my house. And if He so calls to build a gate over there or build a section in Papua New Guinea or... Because we get to, because we've been redeemed. This is my prayer for our church, for every one of you. And I just that you would see the Lord, amen? That you would see the Lord high and lifted up and you would see the train of His robe filling the temple and that you would see the revelation of our own sin and you would like Isaiah say, woe is me for I am a person of unclean lips and you would see by the grace of God the seraphim coming and touching your tongue and washing you white as snow and the only possible logical response is here I am, send me. So may the Lord bless you, may the Lord keep you, may He fill you, inspire you and empower you to build the wall right where He's put you with the people next to you by the power that is within you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's sing. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.